0: Hey, here we go. Welcome to Adventure's First Teaching Series of 2021, the original Big Ten. So here we are, we're at the end. Um, this is it. Final commandment of the Big Ten. Um, we've been looking to understand these Ten Commandments in their original intent. And then we've been taking them and applying them today, and what we've really, what we've discovered is, they are as relevant today as they were 3,500 years ago. And honestly, if we will just keep them, we can have a solid and stable and secure society, but if we don't, we won't. And that's that's kind of the challenge. Now, let's review. The first five commandments deal with our relationship with God. The second five commandments deal with our relationships with each other. Commandments six, seven, eight, and nine um, prohibit acts of evil against each other uh, murder, adultery, stealing, um, perjury. And then there's one final commandment. That's where we are today. There's one final commandment that prohibits the one thing that generally leads to violating the other commandments. In fact, if Adam and Eve had been living consistent with this commandment, they would have never sinned in the garden. (laughs) Because what it came down to in the garden was, well, what we're going to look at today. Last commandment. Here we go. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. I'm going to have you circle two words. You must not what? Covet. Circle that word. You must not covet. You're going to see it again. Circle it again here. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or ox, or donkey. And by the way, since a bunch of you have the sense of humor of a nine-year-old boy, I've decided not to use the old English for donkey, all right? (laughs) I wanted you to be able to focus for the rest of the lesson time. Um, Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So why do the Ten Commandments contain a commandment that literally deals with thought? It prohibits thought. You ever ask yourself that question? Why would, that, why would the Ten Commandments, the original Big Ten, why would they say, don't think about this? Because the rest of the time, they're this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then here's this one, you can't even think about this. 1,500 years later, James would break out the fat crayons and draw on a big piece of poster board for those of us that learned slowly. Here's what he says. Watch this. James chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. Now watch. He's going to straight up cite two of the Ten Commandments. You, what? Murder and covet. Covet and cannot obtain you fight and war so it's coveting it's this obsessively focusing on and desiring what isn't yours that so often pulls us into evil i mean it's coveting that eventually convinces us it's okay to accept the unacceptable let me put it another way let me show you this with each of the commandments We violate the first commandment by coveting the authority to choose our own God. We violate the second commandment by coveting the power to create a God in our own image. We violate the third commandment by coveting the ability to falsely represent God to the people around us. We violate the fourth commandment by coveting control of all of our time and never offering any of it to the Lord. We violate the fifth commandment by coveting the freedom to ignore or mistreat the parents from which God created us. We violate the sixth commandment by coveting the power to strike at the very image of God by murdering another human being. We violate the seventh commandment by coveting people other than our own spouse. We violate the eighth commandment by coveting and stealing from others things that are not ours to start with. We violate the ninth commandment by coveting the authority to rob justice from those who need it. In fact, Coveting not only leads to each of us violating a commandment, a lot of times coveting leads to us violating a whole cluster of commandments all at one time. The Old Testament gives us two examples I want to show you. These are both kings. And kings uh, in Israel represented God. I mean, they were God's primary representative. Now, watch this. So the first example is actually in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So David's up, David's up on a rooftop, and he looks down, and he can see, see a, a chick taking a bath on the roof. Now, her name was Bathsheba, and I'm just going to straighten this up for you nine-year-olds too. Bathsheba. Having the word bath in her name is just a lucky coincidence. <laughs> All right? It has nothing to do with like, oh yeah, she was the queen of the bath. Um, Sheba means queen. All right. So no, that's not what that means. All right. Her, her name was actually Bathsheba. So Bathsheba sounds better. You know, how do you go? Oh yeah, I met this new chick, Bathsheba. Sounds like she's Klingon. Um, so David looks down and he sees her taking a bath down there and his thought is, that is one hot chick. Now, she was married. She was married to a guy in the military named Uriah. And Uriah was a national hero uh, in the wars that were going on. Uriah was a good man. Uriah was a godly man. He's away at war. And David sees her down there and thinks, I'm going to divide her up. So what's he do? He exploits his position, right? Think Cuomo. <laughs> right? I mean, if the accusation fits. So he plays the part of the early Cuomo family. And so he invites her up and she sleeps with him. She gets pregnant. Now, Dave's got a problem. So his thought is, I know how to deal with this. I'm going to bring him back from the war. He's going to be, you know, excited to see her. (laughs) And so when when he comes back, they'll sleep together. Then she can say, he did it. He's the father and nobody will ever know. So he brings Uriah back from the war. Uriah is a little bit angry about being brought back from the war because he's leaving behind his comrades, his compatriots from battle. So he comes back. He won't go in the house. He won't eat. He sits outside and he protests that he shouldn't be there. He should be back fighting with his men. So he won't go in and sleep with her. So eventually, he wears out David. David sends him back to the battle, but now David's got this other idea. So let's send his unit into battle, and then we'll have all the men withdraw and leave him out there with the enemy by himself. So he sets up, Uriah's killed. Um, What started... With looking out a window and thinking, she is hot. Developed into a king carrying the Lord's name in vain by not representing God accurately. Adultery, murder, and false testimony about who the father was and about why the husband was brought back. A whole cluster were broken him staring out the window at something he knew he shouldn't be doing second example this is found in first kings 21 you actually know the name of these two characters ahab and jezebel all right you've, you've heard of ahab the arab all right that's not his name all right he wasn't arabic he was actually israeli so this is about a hundred years after david and uh King Ahab looks out his palace window, and there's a little field next to his house, next to the palace, so to speak, that he really wants. It's apparently got a vineyard. It's apparently very productive. And for some reason, Ahab is focused on this vineyard that's not his. Now, the guy who owns the vineyard, this vineyard had been in the same family for, for generations. And the current owner's name is Naboth. And so Ahab comes to Naboth, says, i want to buy your field. Naboth says, not for sale. Now, This is interesting. Israelite law protected private property rights, even against kings. And so they couldn't come in and just take the land from him. Uh, It protected a commoner's right to refuse, well, a royal demand like that. Now, by the way, so that concept is why the very first laws in the United States as we were developing our constitution the very first laws were private property rights and it's why your bill of rights includes freedom from uh, illegal search and seizure <laughs> right it was from the 10 commandments been a part of us for, forever so Ahab's all immature he's apparently was apparently doted on by his mom or grandma or somebody i mean i don't know what the deal was with him but He can't have this field legally, so what's he do? He goes into a deep depression, throws himself on his bed, and won't get up. Now his wife, her name's Jezebel. She was a nasty human being. She also was not really, uh, she was not into God. She was into a lot of pagan gods. So she told Ahab, I got an idea, honey, for how to get you Naboth's vineyard. So what she does is she goes and she gets a couple guys, she pays them, and they're going to give false testimony against Naboth. And so trials were held at the city gates where everybody could watch, anybody could come and watch. And so she sends her two accusers down, the two accusers stand up and say, we saw saw Naboth, we heard him with our own ears, we heard him curse God, which was punishable by death, capital offense. We heard him curse the king, which is not only punishable by death, but includes seizure of the traitor's material. So these guys go down, they give this false testimony. Naboth is standing there. This is the first he's heard of this, but they got two witnesses. They say it in front of the city leaders and Naboth, who thought he was just going to town for business that day, just a few minutes later is dead. A few feet from that very spot. Now, Naboth, dead, Ahab immediately seizes the land. Immediately goes out and starts enjoying it and looking at it. So he's he's in this field. God brings the prophet Elijah to Ahab. And so Elijah approaches Ahab with this message, 1 Kings 21. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. Woof. So let me finish the story for you. So a little bit later, this war is still going on. And so as this war is happening, Ahab is out, and he's on his chariot. He's riding along. An enemy archer just fires a random shot. He's not even aiming for Ahab. It's just kind of a let fly thing. Yeah, it's the early version of a Hail Mary. And away it goes. And guess what? It hit Ahab, and it hit him in a place where his armor joined. And so he turns and looks at his chariot driver, and he goes, I think I'm buying the farm on this one, literally. He goes, I think I'm going to die from this. You've got to get me out of here. So they get him out. So he bleeds all over the chariot. I mean, his blood is everywhere. They take him. He dies. They take him. They put him in the palace trying to save him. They can't. They take his chariot, and they take it just outside the city gate, and they start pouring water on it to wash the blood out in the same place where they killed Naboth. And as they're washing the blood out, the dogs come up and lick. What happened to Jezebel? My favorite part of the story. Jezebel, she realizes how much trouble she's in. So the new king is coming in to take over. And he looks up. She's all dolled up sitting in a window. Now, Jezebel does not know when to shut up. So she's sitting up in a window. And as she comes in, she yells down at the new king and goes, So I suppose you're here to murder me too. And he's kind of like... Hadn't thought that far ahead. He just turns around, looks at his guys and goes, who's loyal to me? Three guys go, and he goes, throw her out of that window. So they go up, they throw her out of the window. Now she hits the ground and the prophecy against her was that the dogs would eat her. And so they threw her out of the window, and by the time they got to claim her body, a pack of dogs, here's your Halloween story, a pack of dogs had eaten every bit of her and run off with the big parts, except for the palms of her hand, the arches of her feet, and her skull. Isn't that a great story? Oh, man, I love it when the bad people get it. I mean... Come on, Netflix. Where's that story, right? So with Ahab, what starts off as coveting violates a bunch of the other Ten Commandments. The prohibition against carrying the name of the Lord in vain. The prohibition against bearing false witness. The prohibition against murder. The prohibition against stealing. Let's go a little bit further back in the Old Testament, though, for just a second. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent is there. You remember that scripture calls him, God said he was the most artfully cunning of all the animals, and he began his word game. And I want to paraphrase this so you understand how far back this concept goes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. I'm going to have you circle a couple of words. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious And she what? She coveted. She coveted the wisdom because the serpent told her, oh, if you eat that, you'll be just like God. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he did what? He coveted it too. And sin entered the world because the first two people coveted something to which they had no right. Now, let's read the 10th commandment again. Let's break it down. Exodus 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or ox, or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Listen, the reason that this commandment is so unique, the reason that it is so significant is again, it is the one of the Ten Commandments that literally legislates thought. The other nine legislate behavior. Now, the rabbis will tell you that in the five books of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, there are 613 laws that are given by God. So, while I was quarantined and angry about it, I decided to figure out where those 613 laws are. Two in Genesis, 110 in Exodus, 243 in Leviticus, 58 in Numbers, and 200 in Deuteronomy. And my reading glasses went from 2.5 to 3 (laughs) over that. But of those 613 laws, virtually none of them address thought. So to understand why coveting is the one thought that is prohibited in the Old Testament or in the Ten Commandments, let's understand what coveting means and what it doesn't mean. Number one, what does coveting mean? All right, in the box there, to want something to the point of considering how to take it from someone else. Obviously, the reason that people steal or rob is because they covet something that belongs to their victim, right? Right? Coveting is also the reason for looting, for violence, and most of the murders that we see. It's obviously the reason for adultery, somebody wanting someone that they have no right to. And remember the commandment about perjury, about giving false testimony? Perjury is often committed for the purpose of covering up the other violations that are committed by someone who's coveting. Now, there's two operative elements here. Here's the first operative element. A, scheming to take possession of something to which you are not morally or ethically entitled. James chapter four. You want what you don't have, so you scheme. You devise a plan for taking something you have no right to. And he says, and kill To get it, you say, well, that's good. I've never done that. Maybe you haven't physically killed, but you kill their means to keep what they have. Um, You kill their reputation by undermining their reputation. In fact, we call it character what? Assassination. Character murder. By the way, all affairs begin with the outside person committing some form of character assassination against the person who is not committing the affair. You think about it, right? What happens there is that person says, oh man, I would never treat you that way. That guy, that gal, they're just jerks. You deserve better. Man, they have no idea what a great person you are. Watch you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Now, what's the difference between lusting and coveting, all right? It's not always translated well in English because the English language is alive and growing. I mean, right now there are, there are words in our language that we use daily that didn't exist 20 years ago brand new words. And there are words that have completely changed meaning over the last couple of decades, right? So let me explain this. Lust versus covet. One can lead to the other. In other words, lusting can lead to coveting. And the the other always includes the one. In other words, coveting always includes lusting because that's the beginning point for coveting is lusting. Yet neither is appropriate for God's people. We need to avoid both of them. So lusting is a, a, a feeling of a strong, compulsive desire. Um, lusting used to mean to just want something in general. There was, it was just a normal thing. You could say, oh, yeah, dude, I'm really lusting after that. But see, it's changed now where it's almost exclusively sexual in, English, in the English language. For example, if I say, oh, man, Becky's eating a... Uh, Hot fudge Sunday from Whitey's. I am lusting after that Sunday. So now that sounds funny to your ears, right? <laughs> because lusting now has come to mean sexual. Coveting is an eager yearning to possess something forbidden that already belongs to someone else. It's that eagerness that says, I'm going to find a way. Now here's the second operative element, B taking ownership of something that already belongs to another. So it's not just getting a scheme, it's actually taking possession. Now that seems obvious, but you got to remember, we live in an age now where looting a store in a riot is now viewed by some people as some form of free speech or social justice. A lot of it depends on the race of the looter and the race of the store owner. See, the 10th commandment Prohibits that behavior, whether it is done by you personally or if it's done by someone else on your behalf. By the way, I do not understand this new fascination with socialism or communism. I don't get that. Those are both based on the lie that you deserve something that someone else's labor, someone else's wisdom, someone else's family has produced. Listen, when you look at someone and you say, they should be forced to give some of that to me, you have broken this commandment. Even if the government makes it legal, even if the government takes it, and redistributes it. That's a violation of the 10th commandment. That's a perversion of actual justice. Now, number two. Can I strongly desire without coveting? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. The 10th commandment does not prohibit you from saying, man, that's a great car. I want to own one of those. I think of that every time I drive by a gladiator. In the interest of confession. (laughs) That's a great house. I'd love to have one like that for my family. That looks like they had so much fun on that vacation. I want my family to go on a vacation like that. Man, their spouse is awesome. I want a spouse like that. Now, if you're already married, that one's problematic. (laughs) All right? Especially if you've decided you would a spouse that's six foot tall and they're five foot four. Platform shoes is about all you're going to be able to do with that, right? But see, statements like those could be destructive, but they might also be constructive. How? It may spur you to work harder to improve your situation. So you can obtain a a, a nicer house, a nicer car. Or A spouse like your neighbors, but not your neighbors. (laughs) And not, not the one you have now. It may spur you to a better standard of living for your family or yourself, but when you want it, when you seek to take possession of it, and it's not yours morally or ethically, that house, that vehicle, that human those things that belong to another person, that's when evil ensues. That's what the 10th commandment prohibits. So one of these 10 commandments, these 10 basic rules of life, if you want to create a free nation and keep it free, has to focus our thoughts on what they should be focused on and not on what they should not be focused on. I mean, here's the reality. I don't care how much stuff Bill Gates has. I don't care how much stuff Warren Buffett has. I don't care how much stuff Donald Trump has. The reality is this. Whatever belongs to another person has got to be regarded as inviolable, as sacred, as sacrosanct, regarded as too important to try to figure out how to take it away from them. It's not ours. That violates the 10th commandment. We cannot seek to take something that belongs to another. Why? Because only evil comes of it, and it begins with coveting in your heart, saying, oh, yeah, I can steal that stuff from them. We can take, we'll pass a law to get that from them. The week after Easter, we're starting a new series called Rethinking How I Think. We're going to start looking deep inside of us, because I guarantee you, Pretty much all of us have violated in some form all 10 of these commandments, but especially this one. We're going to deep dive into that two secret realm of our lives. Why? Book of Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so shall he be. So whatever you think about, that's how your life will be. You want to have a successful life? Think success. You want to be a thief? Think about taking stuff from other people. Jesus addresses that thought life several times. The Apostle Paul jumps in with both feet several times. And the Apostle Paul warns us to do this. He says, I want you to think soberly, soberly about yourself. Now, we all get what sober is, right? (laughs) Sober is that idea that nothing from the outside is controlling you, no chemicals, no substances, nothing. But soberly goes beyond that. It means to look at ourselves without some excessive bias toward ourselves, without some emotion-based judgments, but rather the, to think with an earnest measurement, an accurate measurement, as objectively about ourselves as humans can be, and with thoughtful character, and to judge our Christ-like character against Christ, not against the neighbors, not against the people who are around me, and to adjust ourselves, adjust our thinking is necessary so that we can reflect Christ. Here's why that matters for you and me. Philippians chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true Honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice. In other words, it's not a one and done. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Now, why should you do that? Then the God of peace will be with you. Listen, if you want God's peace in your life, you have got to keep this 10th commandment. You have got to take control of your thoughts. You cannot let them run wild. You cannot let them be selfish. I know a lot of us are intimately familiar with the serenity prayer, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, is a fantastic prayer. The whole premise and description of it is just perfect. If you, you, if you literally pray and mean the serenity prayer, your life is going to get so much easier. But if you want real and true serenity in your life. If you want the peace of God as a daily feature of your life, you've got to learn to think about the things Paul says to think about, and you've got to remember this 10th commandment about coveting, and when you can do that, a lot of improper thoughts and a lot of sins will no longer dominate your heart and your mind. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity today to stop and reflect on this 10th commandment. Father, we thank you for all 10 of them. And Lord, I know I have violated just about all of them at some point, in some form or degree, different levels. But Father, today we ask that you teach us to think on things that are true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise, things that reflect you and your mission for us. Father, help us to put these things into daily practice, maybe even into practice every moment with every breath. Father, fill us with your peace. Teach us to bear your name with honor. Father, we thank you for this. We thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.